Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Are we supposed to get married? I'm going to just swipe left. I just want somebody to share my life with. All of these life experiences, they all exist in a blender. You can keep waiting for the fairy tale, or you can get on board with the new rules of relationships. If you've watched me on NBC's Access Daily, then you know this ain't your mama's love advice. This is Dates and Mates with Damona Hoffman. Hello, lovers. Welcome to another inspiring episode of Dates and Mates. I don't have to tell you that sometimes life does not go according to plan. And as much as I love planning, I really do. (laughs) I realize it's important to leave a little room for things to go sideways sometimes. The question is how to deal with the days or the weeks or the months when life feels like it's headed off course. So today, I will unpack that question and much, much more with Nora McInerney. She's the host of Terrible Thanks for Asking. It's a fantastic podcast. She is a wonderful writer and a hilarious and insightful person to be around. She was on the podcast two years ago when she was talking about her last book. And today, she's here to discuss how she managed after losing the love of her life how she opened herself back up to love, and how every experience in between led her to exactly where she is today. But we always kick off the show with the big headlines of the week. Today, we will reply to the New York Times, who has said in a recent article, dating is broken, going retro could fix it. Could it? I'll tell you my take in just a moment. And then later in Dear Demona, I will tackle this confusing question. I found my missed connection on LinkedIn. Should I message him? Mm. I told you it's going down in the DMs. Let's dish. These dating dish. All right. I had seriously three or four people send me this article. So it must be something that you either thought I needed to know or thought I would have a hot take on. I even got it from my father-in-law, who's always on the lookout for hot New York Times takes like this one. They said dating is broken. Going retro could fix it. So the article starts out talking about how In the Orthodox Jewish community, many women used their yearbook photos as part of their resume for an arranged marriage. And before online dating, we all know that most people met their romantic partners through friends. But 
Even as late as 1980, almost 20% of hetero couples met with the help of their families. So traditionally, communities, matchmakers, both formal and informal, they have always and they continue to play a role in connecting singles. And we're not just talking about in specific ethnic or religious communities like We did a show on Indian matchmaking recently. I've had many friends who are matchmakers as guests on the show. Matchmaking is still a thing in a way, maybe even more of a thing than it was back then because it's really formalized. What we don't realize is that dating really is a social construct. We made it up. (laughs) It didn't exist, let's say, before, I don't know, the 1920s. Back then, even even in that period, a lot of people were still meeting through their social networks and through their family networks and through their church or synagogue or temple or place of worship networks, through their high school and college networks. And this idea of like going out and meeting people, like we get nostalgic for the olden times of like, oh, I it would have been so much easier if I could just like go up and talk to somebody in a bar or at a party. And let me tell you, it wasn't easy then. It wasn't easy then, but we put different expectations on it. So fast forwarding to today in the article, in October of 2019, Pew Research conducted a survey to understand Americans' attitudes towards relationships. Three quarters of respondents said it was difficult to find people to date. And then why dating was so difficult varied, depending on which gender they were interviewing here in the survey. Women said it was challenging to find someone who met their expectations or was looking for the same type of relationship. And men said that they had trouble approaching people, which is hilarious because this is 2019. And... Online dating, even though it wasn't quite what it is today, it was still a thing in 2019. So what this article is proposing is that matchmaking might be able to fix dating culture. They say a mediated match tends to connect individuals who are looking for the same kind of relationships. It eases the difficulties of the IRL approach. And it offers behavioral accountability, which was the phrase that really stood out to me from the article. And I want to talk about that for a minute. So it's saying like ghosting, bye-bye, because if the match is mediated, people have accountability there. And then people feel less frustrated and avoid feeling, according to the article, completely disposable because you have a mutual connection it might get back to. So here's what I think we need to do. I think we need to do a few things. First of all, I like this idea of behavioral accountability. And it's interesting that the article picked up on this feeling of being disposable because I talk about that a lot as a case for why you should be doing a screening step before you actually show up on a date or before you emotionally invest in this person that you're texting back and forth and back and forth and you've never even heard their voice. So the phone call or the video chat, I promise you, if more people incorporated that, you have more behavioral accountability because you've made a real connection. They're not just a name and a phone. Let's start doing that. Let's also start taking personal responsibility for our actions because a lot of people will will write to me and tell me, I hate ghosting. I get ghosted all the time. How do I get out of this ghosting situation? And then I'll go back through their messages or we'll talk about their 
prior experiences, and they're out here ghosting other people that they thought were disposable, not realizing that what goes around is sort of coming around. So let's all just link arms and agree to take personal responsibility, but also to not continue to invest in people that don't show up for us. And that's why we practice slow love and letting it happen over time. And let's invest in our dating lives. If you come at it from the perspective of this isn't something that I should just know how to do. This isn't something that like, oh, so much easier in olden times. And by now I would have been married because my mom or my rabbi or somebody would have introduced me to a match by now. Like, let's stop being nostalgic about the past. There were so many other reasons that you would not want to date in that landscape. You have choice. You have opportunity right now. So instead, let's lean into that. And how would you date differently if you really saw it as a set of skills to be learned, as a process to be developed and invested in? Maybe you do need to hire a matchmaker, which, by the way, we have a fantastic partnership with Three Day Rule Matchmaking. So I will put the link in the show notes. If anyone is interested in making that investment and having a matchmaker select matches for them, that does take some of the work off your plate, but not all of it. We still have to show up mindfully. We still have to be responsible for what we're bringing to the table in dating and the kind of effort we're putting forward because it's no wonder you're burned out if you're texting all of these people that haven't really shown up for you and then you're getting ghosted because you haven't made that real connection and nobody has behavioral accountability. And we're just out here flying blind without a manual, which if you're listening to this podcast, you know that there is a system, there is a way to do it, but we can't achieve that if we're holding on to this idealized version of the past and the way things were done before at a time when, in truth, dating didn't really exist, when women didn't really have choice in their matches, when you stayed in your hometown with people that you knew for your entire life. We are playing by completely different rules. So why shouldn't we adjust our expectations also in dating? Y'all can read the article for yourself, come up with your own conclusions, but that's my hot take. We'll put the link to three-day rule matchmaking in the show notes. When we come back, Nora McInerney will be with us to talk about her healing journey and how every experience, good and bad, has led her to exactly where she is today. Now a quick break to tell you about one of my favorite brands, Cozy Earth. Thanks to Cozy Earth, I am sleeping like a baby. I'm actually sleeping like better than a baby because their sheets are so soft. I literally feel like I'm like sleeping on clouds. It's so comfortable and it's so exciting because now they are making the comfiest loungewear of my life. Cozy Earth has developed and crafted high quality goods with responsibly and sustainably sourced materials from the earth. Cozy Earth's women's loungewear, it's made from the same breathable and luxurious material as their super, super soft bedding. And it offers optimal comfort while maintaining, you know, a cute, flattering, elegant fit. Plus, Cozy Earth has even been featured on Oprah's favorites list four years in a row. And they have a 10-year warranty on all of their products. They have all sorts of clothing you can try on. Tank tops, t-shirts, sweatshirts, joggers, even scrunchies. 
I love Cozy Earth because as a dating coach, I'm always talking about using all your senses. And I just talked on the Drew Barrymore Show about how the sense of touch is so powerful. And we should use that same power in our sense of touch with ourselves and the fabrics that we put against our skin. So you got to check out Cozy Earth. They've provided an exclusive offer for my Dates and Mates listeners today. It's 35% off site-wide when you use the code DAMONA. Go to CozyEarth.com and use the code DAMONA, D-A-M-O-N-A, for 35% off site-wide. Cuffing season is right around the corner, y'all. And you're probably thinking about soft autumn sweaters and cozying up by the fire with your that you're going to find during cuffing season. And all of this fantasizing and imagining the future, it actually really works to bring you closer to meeting your match. And that is why I tell my clients to check out Dipsy. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, sexy audio stories designed by women for women. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and characters, no matter what you're into and what turns you on. Find stories about that intriguing coworker with a British accent, that girl who moves back to her hometown and runs into her high school crush, and oh my God, he's still hot. <laughs> Whatever you're into, there is new content for you every week being released on Dipsy. So in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. And you know, this part is very important to me. They are radically inclusive. Dipsy has stories for straight and queer listeners, and 56% of stories are voice acted by people of color. Dipsy also has sleep stories, wellness sessions, and now they also offer written stories. It's your go-to place to spice up your me time, explore your fantasies, visualize the relationship you want in the future, or heat things up with a partner. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash dates and mates. Again, that's 30 days of full access for free when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash dates and mates. Dipsystories.com slash dates and mates. Get into it. Nora McInerney is the host of the award-winning podcast, Terrible, Thanks for Asking. She has contributed to publications like the New York Times, Time, Slate, and Vox. Nora is also the author of two incredible best-selling memoirs. I've read them, and I co-sign. They're fantastic. And her new book, Bad Vibes Only, and other things I bring to the table, is out today. She's going to bring a whole lot to the table right now. So please give big smooches to my guest, Nora McInerney. Good morning or afternoon. Hello. Good day to you. I don't know. We know there's no time in dates and mates land. Yeah, and we're in the world. It's like I couldn't tell you what year it is. <laughs> if you told me it was still 2020, I would believe you. <laughs> it feels like that because it was just a year ago, Nora, when we were here talking about your last book. Wait, was it a year? Maybe it was two years. I don't even know. I think it was two years. Yeah, because my last book came out in 2020. 2020. So yeah, it was probably two years ago. Girl, how do you write another book? Because I don't manage anything else. <laughs> well, I do appreciate that on Instagram, you've been sharing your regular ass house because I too have yes. a regular ass house. Like people are like, how do you do it all? And I'm like, I don't, I haven't posted it yet, but I did take a video of my, my 
sink. Literally, it was like, I don't know if you remember that poem that was like, Sarah, Sylvia, Cynthia, Stout would not take the garbage out. Shell Silverstein. Yeah. Yes. That, yes. I, that was literally my life. I have flashbacks of that poem because we can't do it all. And sometimes the no. expectation, you know, you look at so much perfection on Instagram and you think that should be my life. But doesn't always go that way. The surest way for me to hate my life is to look at someone else's. Well, Nora, you ha- you have a pretty good life in spite of your regular ass house. I do. But you've yeah. been through it, girl. You've been through it, and you've had you've experienced a lot of of loss and a lot of change. Just for those who haven't heard our 2020 interview, what is wrong with them? Okay, first of all, <laughs> and haven't read any of your many many books or listened to terrible things for asking, you fell in love and uh, you found out your husband had terminal cancer. Yeah. Yeah. He was diagnosed with brain cancer. We've been dating for a year. We got married a month after his brain surgery. We had a baby 13 months later. And then our third wedding anniversary was his funeral. So that is, uh, that's, that's my first marriage. And Aaron, my husband died after my dad died copycat. (laughs) And my dad died after I lost a pregnancy, like five days later, I was like, uh, and you know, any one of those things is a lot. I happen to have them in a very condensed period of time. And I would say like the past almost eight years of my life has been about me pulling these losses apart and hearing about other people's stories, pulling myself out of my own experience because it's so easy for your own experience to just become like the center of your world and trying to, I don't know, like heal, make sense of it, all of these things while also the world spins on, other things happen you know, like I fall in love. We blend a family. That is a wonderful thing. And it's also a hard thing. I did not know until recently, 70% of like second marriages where their children end in divorce. Oh, wow. What? I love stats, but I didn't know that one. I love statistics. I don't love that one. I was like, whoo, boy, we did not know that when we stepped in. Are we getting a divorce? Let's knock on wood. No. (laughs) Um, But all of these life experiences, like if they're the big good ones or the big hard ones, like they just all exist in a blender, basically, mm. all together. I'm curious about that process of stepping into love again, like when you've been through so mm. much loss and you have to somehow go on. Was there a point where yeah. you're like, okay, I'm ready? <laughs> no. No, 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 no. I didn't step into it. I fell into it like um, a cartoon where they just fall into a manhole. No. It just like, Whoa! Like, oh no. Um, And I, it was like a year after Aaron died and I was having a very hard time, duh. And my friend who was also a widow said, come on over, let's burn some stuff, my favorite Mm -hmm. hobby. And she had also invited this friend of hers. She had met two friends, one who I knew, who was a guy we often hung out with, who just was like always kind of there for our stuff, like to hang out, like to listen to us talk, never interrupted us, the perfect man. <laughs> and this other guy shows up. I'm like, oh God, and I have to pretend to care about a new person. Are you kidding me? And it's Matthew. And he also just listens to us talk for hours. My friend Mo and I are sobbing. We are laughing. We are talking about you know our dead husbands. How are we going to raise these boys of ours without their dads? And this guy's just hanging out. And finally, I'm like, what is your deal? Like, what's when did your wife die? And he's like, oh, no, I'm divorced. And I truly could not believe that he was divorced. I was like, 
that is the worst thing I've ever heard. Oh. I'm sorry. Like Mo and I get to still love our husbands. Someone said they would love you forever and then they changed your mind. That's wild oh to me. I truly was like, I was like, oh my God. And I was drinking, obviously. I was like, oh my God, are you kidding me? This is like, that's, and he was like, oh wow. Yeah, no one's ever put it to me that way before. But yeah, yeah, yeah. She did decide to stop. <laughs> like, I'm sure there are two sides to every story. but Yeah, there are, there are. But you know what I mean? I was like, oh my God, how are you walking around the world right now? And at the time, you know, I was not in a place where I could talk about what had happened without feeling like, I was going to be crushed to mm. death by my own sorrow. Yeah. I was not interested in meeting someone, you know? I was not interested in falling in love with somebody. I was interested in possibly having sex with a person sometimes, having them have their own life. They could fall in love with me if they wanted to, but I wouldn't love them back, but they could come over, mow my lawn, mm -mm -mm. kill a spider, <laughs> take out the garbage, unload the dishwasher, have sex with me, leave. I was going to and, say that was Task Rabbit until you said the ha have sex with me part. Yeah. And I was like, oh. And Task Rabbit will get there. Okay. <laughs> it will. That's a free idea. <laughs> I know I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready. And when it started to develop into something else, I felt horrible for having any kind of happiness mm -hmm. at all. It was the most excruciating time. And it was also, I think, the beginning of something like healing. Because when I had Matthew, I had a place, you know, mm. like he was a place for me. He didn't know the other version of me. He had no expectations of who I was or how I should be. And so he was really meeting me where I was. And where I was, was on the floor of my living room, reading him Mary Oliver poems and crying. So we really built something different than what either of us had had before because both of us, all of us, by the way, wherever you are, whatever you have been through, like you bring that experience with mm -hmm. you, like sometimes for worse, but it can be for better. Like you can, you can decide and create like a new relationship that has echoes of what you loved you know, or is like completely different from the thing that broke you or hurt you. Mm -hmm. And Matthew was in a much different place than I was. Like he was, he had done his own healing and having like a consistent presence who was so non-judgmental about that process for me. I'm so lucky. Mm -hmm. I am so lucky. Well, he's lucky too, but I like- He is lucky. Thank you. Yeah. People always are like, oh, you're so lucky. And I would always get like, yeah, dude, also so is he. Like, I'm not like a, you know, pilot who stepped in. <laughs> well, that's when it, it works, you know, when both people in the partnership feel like they're the lucky one. And I love what you said about just this, this chance to always start again and this is something that I talk to my clients about a lot. I think sometimes we kind of hang our hat on our history and it prevents us from being able to see a new path forward. And one of the things I really love about your book, Bad Vibes Only, aside from the title, which is delightful, and the writing, which is really fantastic and just so immersive, you really put it all out there, Nora, and you capture what so many of us are already thinking, but are afraid to say, you know, we talked about the perfection on Instagram, right? And, and all that. Like in chapter one, you talk about how fleeting life starts to feel the older that you get. And, you know, there is so much pressure of keeping up certain appearances and 
grasping mm-hmm. for our youth, but there is so much value in taking our learned experiences and then using that just sort of as data points, right? To be able to then write a new story for ourselves. I love it. I love the idea of data points. Like you are not cursed by whatever you are carrying with you. Like it can be information. And, and I did, uh, I did, you know, one of those like Instagram Q and A's and there were so many people saying I'm 31, I'm 36, I'm 43. And I want this thing. I want a relationship. I want a job change. I want to move. And I'm afraid that it's too late. And it's so fascinating to me because you in 10 years is going to look at the version of you now and be like, you had no idea. You had no idea how young you were. Mm. You had no idea how young you were and how much was still ahead of you. It just is so easy to feel like the clock is running out. And I felt that way. You know, when Aaron died, I was 31. I didn't feel young. I felt like the crypt keeper. Ugh. And part of that was like all the stuff that I'd been yeah. through, you know, but I was like, oh my God, I'm 31. I'm in my 30. I look back, I'm like, you little baby, you little baby, a 36 year old, a little baby, a 43 year old, a little baby, a 56 year old, a little mm. baby. Like we are all perpetually unaware like of who we are and where we are. So true. And if you were to encounter, if your 10 years ago self were to encounter your present self, like how cool would she think you are? Pretty cool. Like pretty cool. <laughs> you know? Yeah. She'd be like, oh my God. Wait, we did what? Like, like, I don't know. It's really, yeah. There was something you just said um, about people feeling like it's too late or like, you know, it can't happen for them. And it, it kind of reminded me of a quote uh, from the book. You said, the future ahead of me is not boundless and never was. Every choice I made mm-hmm. eliminated other versions of myself. And I think there's something really rich in this idea of like, we're always choosing. And if you want that to be your future, <laughs> not acting on what you want is also a choice. And I, I love the way that you said it. it eliminates other versions of yourself. Like yeah, the sliding doors <laughs> vision with that. Yes, yes, which is why we love that movie, which is why we love like parallel timelines, which is why right now the multiverse is like the most popular sort of um, conceit in movies yeah. right now is like the multiverse, right? There's all these different versions of yourself. We are fascinated by that. It is so natural. I remember having this conversation with uh, a person I'm close to their marriage was super miserable. They'd been together for 15 years. They had tried couples therapy. Their partner had left couples therapy, like literally walked out. And I asked, do you want to be having this conversation with me in 10 years? Mm. Like, do you want to have this same conversation in 10 years? Do you want to have this same life in 10 years? And what was her answer? They got a divorce and they're so happy. They're each so happy now. They're so happy. You know, it's like, and, and like they had done, they'd done all the work. Right. And like, they had not done the biggest thing, which is like making that choice Mm. to eliminate this future version of yourself where you are, you know, just as miserable or maybe like 2% happier. Right. Like it's so, so difficult. It's so difficult to live that way. And 
you know, the practice for me and in that, you know, chapter where that, that quote is taken from too, is to have compassion for the versions of myself who made her choices. And, you know, every choice that I made, even the ones that make me ashamed, right. Or like cringe or just make me feel like, oh God, like what was I doing? What was I thinking? They all got me to where I am today. Do I love everything about where I am today? No. Do I love my life and the people in it? Yeah, I do. So I can live with those. I can live with those. Yeah. It doesn't always go according to the script. And You know, you brought up the popular movies and the multiverse. I'm deep in that with like everything (laughs) Spider-Man. I'm like, why are there so many Spider-Men? Yeah. (laughs) But also... I feel like in my work as a dating coach, I'm often at Mm -hmm. battle with the rom-com versions of ourselves. And you also reveal in the book how the formative rom-coms of your your early childhood (laughs) are referred to as vintage (laughs) rom-coms by by your child. But um, (laughs) it's like, what? She's like, yes, from like 2002. I'm like, (laughs) vintage. I love it. But I work on the Drew Barrymore show and I'm often talking with Drew about how difficult she makes my job because the perfect version in the rom-com is one thing. And then, you know, Drew is single now and we often talk about her dating life and help other people with dating on the show. And it's a lot of work for me to unravel these expectations. What do we do with these rom-com visions (laughs) if we want to have a happy Mm -hmm. life, but it's not necessarily going to look like Pretty Woman or name any Drew Barrymore movie. <laughs> oh my God, I know, but just the queen, the queen, the queen, the queen. Okay, 50 first dates. Yeah. Uh, like, will a man love me if I have a closed head injury? <laughs> and I can't. Yes, the answer is yes. And he's going to fight every day to. And he's going to fight every day you. for you. He can't wait. Yeah. He loves you so yeah. much. And like, also, it is about time for those two to reunite on screen. I don't, I don't know. I think they might be talking. If Hollywood's about it, listening, I. Don't know. I that's uh, it's time. It's time. the The people are ready, and we're ready to bring our children now. <laughs> yeah, to bring it back exactly. to where our conversation started, I don't even think we're competing against, like the idea that a rom com puts into our head. We are competing against the way that regular people, and I think even at some points, like myself included are starring in producing and, you know, directing their own reality show. And uh, reality shows are, by their very nature, not real. (laughs) Not real. Not real at all. And I don't know how many people I have followed on Instagram, followed through their like blog days back in like the early, to really get vintage with you, who presented a version of their life and their marriage, their relationship, you know, their boyfriend, whatever, that was so perfect, right? I'm so blessed. Oh, this one. Oh, so glad I get to do life with him. There's no one like him. And then we're divorced. We're done. It actually, like we were having, we were having problems for years. We were having problems like since day one, actually like, you know, that's, I think what feels like the biggest cultural influence right now. And this is all anecdotal, right? This is all anecdotal evidence. But I'm wondering if you hear that too with your clients, right? Like they're watching like the lives of like friends and even strangers online who are presenting this version of marriage and relationship that is so perfect and so true through a really narrow, 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 narrow lens. And I will say, my marriage with Aaron was perfect. 
It was. We had a little rom-com. We did. Only he died at the end. All right? So that was that was the imperfect part, but it was easy. It was really easy to fall in love with him. It was easy to be with him. It was easy to be with him until the very last moment. That was my standard. My standard was set by reality. It was set by a real experience. And I will not have that again. I do not have that again. I have a very good relationship, but it's also very, very different. Yeah, I... That was kind of my question is how how do you make that okay <laughs> for yourself and for your husband? Yeah, we are at a very different stage. I never expected it to be like it was with Aaron. Never did. I was so okay never falling in love again, truly. Like I was like, yeah, I'll be alone forever. That's great. Fine. I already had it once. Like who thinks that lightning strikes twice? Turns out, through a cursory Google search, lightning often does strike twice in the same place. There you go with so. the stats again. <laughs> okay, okay. And again, that was the first result on Google. So who knows? It was probably like a, a website put up by like an eighth grader in like 1994. But I never expected it to be the same. Our situation is different because we are different. Because I'm not like a relatively fresh, relatively unscathed 27-year-old with no children. Matthew and I were laughing. We're like, we never were single together, you know, in the, in that like Mm. classic sense where you, you find someone, you date them and you can like go spend weekends away or like take a spontaneous road trip. We met each other and we came with kids. Like we came with like established lives. And so we had to like fit those together in a way that made sense. And in a way that also, by the way, respects the fact that like this marriage is not just about us. It's about like these four kids and three of them had a different family, had a different version of their lives that they also loved and that they did not choose to have change. So it is very different. It is not a fairy tale. And thank God, Hmm. honestly, because if I thought that my happy end, like my happy ending happened when I was 30. I have no idea how old I was, 30 to something, whatever. It's like, where do you go from Mm -hmm. there if you're lucky enough to have 30 or 40 more years on this planet? At least. At least, yeah. Yeah, we got to keep writing. We got to keep writing the story. I also love in, in chapter 10, you talk about marriage and you say marriage is about compromise. I love this. Sometimes you're the person working to debunk your partner's preferences, and sometimes you're the person swallowing your distaste and pretending. I know this is a a humorous essay book, but also there's there's truth. (laughs) There's how how much of that is truth, and how much of that is humor. It's funny because it's true. (laughs) Matthew and I are so. It makes no sense that we love each other. It makes literally no sense. We do not like the same climate. (laughs) He lives in Arizona as a sacrifice to me. He would love to live in like northern Minnesota on Lake Superior where it's like negative 30 and like gray skies most of the time. He would love to live in Portland, in Seattle. (laughs) So we don't like the same climates. We don't eat the same foods. We have a little bit of overlap in our music taste, a very slim overlap in our taste in music. He loves to travel. I would literally rather not. (laughs) I would love, if I get somewhere, that's the traveling. You know what I mean? (laughs) Take me to a resort. Take me to a hotel. Then I will stay put. 
until it is time to leave. I'm not trying to adventure. I'm not trying to learn or grow or see anything. He falls asleep right away. I need like a 45 minute on-ramp and several medications. (laughs) So I have to fall asleep first because if he's snoring already, I'm like, (laughs) it's over. (laughs) You know, it works. It works. But in my 20s, I would have thought like, oh, I have to be with a person who likes all the things I like, who wants to do all the things that I want to do when I want to do them, which is so funny because my parents' marriage wasn't like that at all. My mom never swung a golf club. My dad golfed every single day as as long as there wasn't snow on the ground. Uh, My mom loved to travel. My dad used to say, I did all my traveling in Vietnam. (laughs) Uh, uh, You know, not leisurely. stay home, stay at home, dad, right? (laughs) Yeah. He was like, I'm done. I'm done. Not going anywhere ever again. So they loved each other so much. They were together for 40 years till death do us part. And also like they took separate vacations. Like they had separate groups of friends. Like they just kind of did their own thing and brought that back to each other, like to the house, like to the marriage. And I think that was such a like good example for me. But yeah, if we are on a road trip and we have to like compromise on like the playlist, I'm like, (laughs) You just put your AirPods in. You're like, I'm done. I'm done. Yeah. 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 Or I'm like, oh no, it's not loading. People always ask me, do opposites attract or like, do you need to be too similar? And people will always say like, just what you said, what do I need in a partner? I need them to also Mm. golf. I need them to also like to travel. Like they, they often want or expect a carbon copy of themselves. My husband and I are also very different, but I feel like where it matters, we're the same. And I feel like we have the same values and we have the same goals for the future. Like we're still, we're building the same life together. To me, those are the most important factors, but I'm curious for you, if you can pinpoint what those factors are for you and Matthew. Yeah, exactly. First of all, exactly. And you don't really know somebody's values until you see them in practice. And I could see Matthew's literally right away. So I had messaged him after we met and I was like, you should ask me out. Like, let's have sex. Uh, Um, and, uh, I love that. And, uh, he was like, he was like, sure. Yeah, no, I could do that. And I was like, not the sex part asking you out. You did the other part that was silent. (laughs) That part was silent until the end of the first day. I was like, literally what's going on here. I've got a babysitter for 20 more minutes. Like, uh, and, uh, I was used to, you know, in my twenties when I met Aaron, like molding my life and my preferences around what was convenient for another person and kind of expecting someone to do that for me too. I was a alone mom. Okay. Not even like a single mom. Like there's no other parent. I'm an alone mom and I've got a two-year-old. Like I, I got to find a babysitter. So like you let me know like what works for you. I'll find a babysitter. And he gave me one day, mm. one day, one option because that was the one night he didn't have his kids. Otherwise, it would have to be another week on that same day. And I thought, this man does not need me. This man does not need me. And that is the best thing. Mm. And I thought, okay, this is a guy who has been through something. He knows how to take care of himself. He is not the center of his own world. And when he told me he had one option for a date, I knew I'm not this, I'm not going to be the center of his. I love that you took that though to be a positive because I think a lot of people would read that as a negative. Like a lot of times I, I hear, well, that person like wasn't making me a priority. And I, I feel like we put so much emphasis on those early interactions and every single one has so much weight, but 
you know, when when you've lived a life as full as you have with so many experiences, so many ups and downs, you realize that, gosh, we shouldn't really sweat the small stuff too much. In the end, it yeah. doesn't. I mean, I sweat it course. all the time. I will say, like, <laughs> I, like my perspective, like, gets really, like, immediately, you know, like, sometimes I have great perspective and sometimes I am a person who's like, I was going to park there. Okay. Why'd you? <laughs> I it's When that happens, on. I just. I, I turn it around and I just go, love and light, but I say it in like a really aggressive yeah. tone. Love and light to you, sir. <laughs> it works. It works every time. Love the book. Bad vibes only. Thank you. Uh, I didn't get bad vibes from this book. I And I imagine that is not, not the point, not the point of the book. What do you hope people take from this new book of yours? I hope that they can see the cringier sides of themselves, the embarrassing sides of themselves, like their darker thoughts with some compassion. Because that is what writing this book was an exercise in for me. Thank you so much for joining me, Nora. Be sure to check out Nora on Instagram. She's at Nora Borealis, N-O-R-A-B-O-R-E-A-L-I-S. And you can pick up her newest book, Bad Vibes Only, and other things I bring to the table. The links will be in the show notes. In a moment, I'll be back to answer this listener question. Is it ever acceptable to ping a match on LinkedIn? (laughs) I'll tell you in a sec. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey... Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. It is my greatest joy to answer your dating and relationship questions, so let's get into the question of the week. From Suzanne on Instagram, she says, when is it acceptable to ping someone on LinkedIn, if ever? I know it's not a dating app, but I've had a great exchange with someone on Hinge mid-pandemic. Then I didn't hear from him for weeks. I got dejected and I gave up. Recently logged back in after a year to find that he had responded to me two months later And now I responded nearly a year later. I keep kicking myself over the misconnection. Parentheses. Guy was perfect. His profile is unchanged. He's either coupled up or on this app about as often as I am. And it doesn't help that Hinge archives messages after two weeks, which is how I missed his last message for months after I was back on. Well, I found him on LinkedIn. No crazy sleuthing. First result given his name and schools. Is it completely inappropriate to reach out saying something to the effect of, sorry for unintentionally ghosting you on that other app? Really want to meet him now that we can. Suzanne, this is a case of rewriting the narrative after the story has been told. So we tend to think of our online dating experience from the perspective of us and not necessarily from the perspective of the other person. So we're making the assumption that he was sweating the fact that you ghosted him two months later. Two months. Girl, he took two months to write to you. Obviously, 
not a high priority, whether it's because he's not checking Hinge very often or whether it's because he's just a lump. Um, he did take two months to respond to you. And so, okay, so you responded nearly a year later. Welcome to the cycle of dating apps. And this is just a lot of times how it goes. Now, very clever, I do tell folks that LinkedIn is a great place to research dates before you go on the date as like a kind of safety precaution. So I kind of like that you did that. I got to think about the fact, though, that you had no connection on LinkedIn and now you found him on LinkedIn, which for many people is their place of business social network. So I, I know, no crazy sleuthing, just his first name in schools. Is it inappropriate, though, to reach out to the effect of sorry for unintentionally ghosting you? I don't know if it's inappropriate. I just think it's unnecessary. So a lot of times we'll overexplain and we feel like we have to acknowledge what happened before and whatever. Like, this is your opener. So if you're going to be bold, which I'm all for bold, Suzanne, I'm all for anybody taking their dating destiny into their own hands. I just want you to lead with a strong position if you are going to do that. So don't even acknowledge what happened before. You might, though, have to acknowledge the weirdness of suddenly now you're on LinkedIn. So let me give you the language. Something like, hey, I logged back into Hinge and realized that we never finished our conversation. I hope it's not weird that I'm reaching out to you here, but I really felt like we had a connection and wanted to see what happens. Honestly, Suzanne, that's probably too much. So you can edit me down. But something to that effect of acknowledging why you're here and that you had a connection before, a good rule for restarting conversation and connection after it's the, the thread has gone dead. I don't know about a year dead, but okay. Reference something else that you talked about. So I assume you were messaging back and forth and there was some specific detail and not just like, hey, hey, beautiful. <laughs> there was some content in those messages that went back and forth. So pull back something from his hinge or something that you already talked about. Like, how's your dog Judy doing? I don't know why I said his dog's name is not Judy, but like, you know, we'll change the names to protect the innocent. So, so reference something like, did you ever go to that concert or how's that keto diet going? Something specific that either was in his profile and still is or that you discussed. Like, we're really talking like one paragraph, my dear, like three sentences, no more. And I'm saying three sentences on LinkedIn because it's a different vibe than if you were messaging him on Instagram, because that's like real short burst communication. But OK, you're on LinkedIn, you're reaching out to him and you got to just kind of throw the Hail Mary and see what happens. Like, I'm not great with sports analogies, but like you'll either get a touchdown Wait, is it a touchdown if you throw the pass? I don't know. I don't know. I, I got to get up to speed, you know, to cover this whole like Tom Brady, Giselle thing. But somehow you have to, if you're going to shoot your shot, do it 100%. Okay. And then report back and let me know how it goes. And you have to be willing to accept any outcome. The outcome may be that he's like, this is weird. <laughs> like, I'm delete. He may be dating somebody else by now. He may just honestly, be a dum-dum. He may be a dum-dum because he took two months to respond to you in the first place. Don't start to tell yourself 
stories about like this guy was perfect. Like you don't know him even from his LinkedIn, you know, a little bit more, but you don't really know him. You're creating the story that may or may not exist. You need to figure out what the reality is. So go for it. Shoot your shot. See what happens, but completely let go of the outcome. And he's just another name in the phone as of right now. He's just another person on Hinge. Don't go deeper in your sleuthing until you know that there's something else on the other end that's worth you investing in. I hope you enjoyed episode 432 of Dates and Mates. I love making the show for you. And I would love to know, number one, who your favorite guests are. You can leave me a comment on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on Stitcher, on Google Podcasts, wherever you're listening. Leave a little review and let me know which episodes you loved. And I will continue to bring you more guests and more topics like that. And I would also love to hear your questions. We're always taking questions for our Dear Demona segment. And so don't be shy. You can DM me at Demona Hoffman on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Or you can give me a call at 424-246-6255. We will be back next Tuesday with my friend and fellow love coach, Orna Walters. For those who don't know, October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. And Orna is going to be sharing her personal story, some signs to look out for, and what you can do to keep your partnership happy, healthy, and safe. Until then, I wish you happy dating.